Okay. So we thank our sponsors for the month, Helene and David Brenner, sponsored of the Merit Protection of uh, Tavi Ruvain Ben Chaya Hadassah, serving in Aza, and to Miriam and Avram Deutsch in honor of 30 years of Aliyah, and to Mindy Baradin, thanks Hashem for miracles past, present, and future for Am Yisrael. And also our weekly sponsors, Yosef Aron and family in honor of Yosef's birthday and uh, as a prayer for the safe return of our soldiers and those who have been taken hostage. And also by Michael Levy in memory of the yard of his grandfather, Dov Bear Ben Zelig Halevi Zichron Levracha. Okay, so we, we didn't get a chance to finish uh, the chapter last time fully, but safe to say that, that Shaul was chasing was chasing David at the end of, this, of chapter 23 in, in Shmuel Aleph. But at the last moment, he had to turn back because the plishtim were attacking. The plishtim were attacking, which is uh, kind of extraordinary, right? He had to take a break from persecuting David, his son-in-law, so he could briefly deal with the, the enemies that were attacking us at our border. If that sounds familiar, right? That's a, an ongoing theme here in the drama of Shaul and David, where he's ignoring our actual enemies and fighting instead the imagined enemies uh, within. Now, let's dive into chapter 24. So Shaul returns from chasing away the plishtim and fighting the plishtim. We're not really given any more details about that battle. And it was told him that David was in the wilderness of Ein Gedi. We know where that is. Right? Don't ever uh, make the mistake of taking children or grandchildren if they're young to Masada. Just go straight to Engedi. I made that mistake. I'll never live that one down. I remember bringing them up there, and it was even a perfect day. It was like 68 degrees. Beautiful. I brought my children there. They were young, and it was uh, everything's brown and looks the same. And like it was over in two minutes. We were they were done. Engedi with the with the water and 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 the ibex and all of it. It's amazing, right? So that's where, that's where Shaul's chasing David. So he takes 3,000 chosen soldiers. And he goes to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. What are the wild goats? The, the ibex, right? So we've all, we've all seen these. We've been to Gedi. It's amazing, right? So that's exactly where this was. He went to go seek David over there. Now this 3,000 men... Uh, is not is not a uh, coincidence, right? If you remember back when we were learning last year in Parakud Gimel, that with the beginning of Shaul's uh, reign, it says it was just uh, the first year, the first two years. I'm sorry that he was ruling over Israel. Then he chose three thousand men also from Israel, and they were with him all the time. And a thousand stayed with with Yonatan, his son. Um, but what's interesting is so the parallel is very clear that the same efforts that Shaul was, invest, was investing in his fight against the plishtim at the beginning of his reign, he's now using those efforts to persecute and to try to kill David. Right? That, that gives you an indication of how his priorities have shifted. Right? The very fact that we get one pasuk that mentions the attack of the plishtim, and we don't even know what's going on. One would think that that would be so much more important, right? But here we see the skewed priorities, right? And that's, you know, just thinking, I'll tell you what I wrote as I was preparing this and taking notes, you know, during the summer. And then, you know, I added 
during Cholomoed, as I was preparing, doing final preparations for this, I wrote, I'm going to quote myself, which is really not good form, but I think you'll find, you'll understand why I'm doing this in a moment. I wrote this during Cholomoed. I can't help but think over and over again about our current situation, that too many people in this country are most concerned about chasing David, right, rather than fighting our enemies who are threatening to kill us. Right? Angry secularists are attacking Yom Kippur services in Tel Aviv, and they seem to have forgotten our true enemies. Right? Now, I don't think that I'm, I mean, we were all thinking that probably, but as I'm looking back at my notes from that I was writing on Cholomoid, right, it's crazy, right? And even hearing stuff like, oh, the violence of the settlers, we've got to stop that. Oh, my like, gosh, It's coming yeah. up all the time now. It's like, even though there's nothing there, they just, like, they, yeah. make, a, they make an enemy. Yeah, no, we're creating like fictional enemies. It's un- it's just unbelievable. Um, can I just? Say, it says by Yagidu So I would assume that it's along the lines of what we learned last week. All these different people that we were reading about the Zifim, all the different, you know, the, those who were saying Lashon Hara, right, about about David, who were trying to gain favor with Shaul. Right? So we know he had informers, people all over the place who were telling him all about Shaul. So how does this go about? Right? This is really wild. Right? So in source number three, So he comes to the sheep coats, by the way, and Shaul went, it says, to cover his feet, it means to use the bathroom. He went to use the bathroom in the cave. One thing we know about Shaul is that he was extremely modest extremely, extremely modest in, in all of his personal, you know, habits. And this is to his credit, right? He would not use the bathroom outside like some, you know, my, my kids think it's thought it was very funny when we made Aliyah about like, just like everybody just pulls over to the side and like everybody's using the bathroom on the side of the road here in Israel. It's like an amazing thing. So, but how do you know that means that? Because when Ruth went to Boaz, Naomi told her to cover his legs. Right, so why is he covering his feet? It's hard to, right, so the Mepharshim say, that's what, it's just Lashon, it's a Lashon Naki, right? We, we try, the Hashem and, and the Nevi'im, all throughout Tanakh we find these kinds of things, right? Where we don't say it, we don't say it directly. Um, and David and his men were hiding in the innermost part of the cave, which is pretty wild. Literally the cave that Shaul goes into to use the bathroom. So the men of David say to him, This is the day that Hashem is saying, you know, giving to you. I'm giving your enemy into your hand. You should do with him what, what is right in your eyes. Right? He's trying to kill you, so you should kill him. And, and, that, and also it's a sign from God. Right? Because how, what, what are the chances that they're going to be hiding in the inside of the cave, deep inside, and... Of all the places to use the bathroom, Shaul walks in there. Is that not a sign from God? Right? The men are making a pretty powerful argument. So, Vayakom David, David gets up, and he cuts off the edge of Shaul's robe, of his clothing. Now, that's pretty wild because did he, was he wearing it and, and he just still didn't notice David there? Or did he take it off and put it next to him? It, it, it was, we're talking about inches or a foot or two away from Shaul himself, so close that they could probably hear each other breathing, right? And yet Shaul doesn't notice. It's kind of unbelievable. 
But then, you know, afterwards, David has tremendous guilt over the fact that he cut the corner of Shaul's clothing. Right, so I guess he went, right? He wasn't sure, what should I do? But he decided to cut the corner, but then afterwards he regrets it, and he says to his men, Right, God forbid, If I should do this, right, to, my, to, to the Mashiach Hashem, he was anointed by God, that I should, I should kill him. He says it again, he's emphasizing. Hashem's anointed. So he, he stopped his men with those words, right? Not, not, this is something that is like sort of a, a side drama throughout the rest of, certainly of Shmuel Aleph, until he is anointed as king. The, David and his men, right? He's not yet a king. He was anointed secretly, but he's, he's a man with his boys, you know? And there are very often tremendous pressure from those men to do one thing or another. And David is not exactly in a position where he could just, you know, say, do whatever I say, right? It's not so simple. But he's able, you know, to stop these 400 men, right, who all want, right? Remember, their lives are at risk too. It's not just David. All of them will be slaughtered. The guy who's trying to slaughter them is in their hands. And David is somehow able to convince them, hold off. And they stand to gain. Right. They stand to gain if once David becomes... Uh, king, uh, exactly king. right, which is exactly what happens later on. They become the inner circle. They become the guard, right? The chosen guard of David, right? We find that these men... One of the things we didn't talk about at the end, at the end of last week's year was that, that there, one of the Mepharshim say that in the, one of these places where they were saved, that Shaul was on one side of the rock and these men were on the other side of the rock, that in the future, right, it says that these, these 400 men, when they would come to that place... They would stop and they would daven and thank Hashem in a way that none of the other men of David could. It was like a status symbol. I was there with David, right? When Shaul was like, you know, 20 feet away on the other side and we snuck by and they would stop and they would daven there. And like these 400 men were like the, you know, I I guess Lahavdil, like I remember the young Israel of Staten Island, you know, like the founders, you know, who, who built the place, you know? And, and, I, and I'm not taking away from them. There's something, you know, to build a shul, to build, right? These were the guys who were there at the beginning when it wasn't easy, you know, when it wasn't air-conditioned, you know? So they, were, but they had a lot of influence over David, and yet he was able to, to stop them with his words, with his words. We need, we need a leader who can stop the people with his words, right? Who can, who's able to influence Am Yisrael, even when the nation, when the majority is maybe going in the wrong direction, we need leaders who can say, this is not, right, this is not, the, right, not, not the right way to go. So he stops them. He prevented 400 men from getting up and killing Shaul. And Shaul get, left the cave and he goes on his way. Pretty wild. Now the Malbim explains you know, the, the, the brilliant uh, strategy here of David, which I thought was very interesting. So, I mean, Shaul went to this Ein Gedi area to look for Al right? The uh, the rocks of the of the wild goats. He was going up into the real wilds, figuring that they're probably somewhere difficult to reach, inaccessible, up on top of a mountain somewhere in that area of Ein Gedi. But midbar Ein Gedi hayusla im gvohim miuchadim right? They were very high rocks that were made, you know, like for for the ibex, right? We all know those rocks. We've all seen them up there. Right, it's one of the cool parts of going to Ingedi. Um, 
These were the, high, the very high hills. So Shaul thought for sure that David and his men were up on top. But David with his great wisdom, he knew that Shaul would go up there to find him. And, and it would never occur to Shaul, right? If he's stopping to use the bathroom in this cave, it's really right on the path, on the road. So why, there's no way they're hiding there right by the road, right? but that's the, the hiding in plain sight, right? When you hide in a place that's unexpected. He stayed, he went on the inside of a cave that was right there on the, on the thoroughfare. Because he, he understood that, that Shaul would never look for him there. And that's why Shaul walked in to use the bathroom without any fear. That it was just, uh, I don't know that there's any deep teaching from that, but I thought that was a brilliant, uh, brilliant insight from David and also from the Malbim. Um, and so, in an ironic twist now, we find that the pursuer is now the pursued, right? So, he's, so David has this terrible dilemma. On the one hand, it would seem to be a great gift, but he understands that this is not a great gift. Because if Shaul sees David and his men, then he's going to tell his soldiers, and then they're going to be trapped with nowhere to run. They're inside a cave. There's nowhere to go, right? That's, about, that's the most dangerous possible place to be caught, when, where there's no exit. Um, which would have been, right, so that's, that, 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 that would have been disastrous. But on the other hand, right, if, if he noticed them, then for sure he had to kill Shaul because, right, right he, but, which is something he didn't want to do, a disastrous step, to kill, to kill the current king. Yeah, but this ends with, you know, and, and he went on his way, but the next, the next thing that happens is that David follows him out and calls out to him and there's this Right, so the assumption is that he's a little bit further away at that point, right? Just like in, in the two chapters from now, the same thing. They have a, a conversation across, a, like a, even if it's a small valley, but if it's a valley, right, then, and no one can easily reach there, so then, right, which is why how you get these dramatic moments, right, where they're so close, but so far, right, so they, it, which is kind of really, really amazing. And it, but it's, it struck me that this dilemma is our dilemma, right? We, we have to, on the one hand, ensure that, and I mean, when I say we, the people of David, I like to think of us, the Jews of Judea, right? Who are the, and I believe that we are the leading tribe. The religious Zionists of, of Israel are the leading tribe, not with arrogance, but with responsibility, right? We have tremendous responsibility. We're the ones who understand Torah, and we're the ones who are taking responsibility for the nation, unlike the Haredi world, which is more in its own place, at least to, you know, for now. Hopefully, they'll change over time. So we're the leading tribe. We are, we are David. So on the one hand, we need to, we need to win, Right? We, we need to make sure that we, that we achieve victory because our victory is, the victory is really the victory for all of Am Yisrael. But along the way, we have to do so without, you know, killing the current king. Right? We don't want to be attacking and, God forbid, in any sense, defeating right, our, 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 the rest of our people. We want to somehow achieve victory without defeating everyone else. Not a simple thing to do. Now in Tehillim, right, this is 142, Right? It's amazing how all these stories that we're reading, they correspond to Tehillim. So, Maskilo David bioto vame'ara tfila. David is davening in the cave. Koli al Hashem koli al Hashem With my voice, I cry, cry out to Hashem. With my voice, I make supplication to Hashem. So, what does that mean? The double, you know, there's the dual meaning here to think about all of this. So, I pour out my 
my uh, thoughts to him. I declare before him my troubles. My spirit is faint within me, and you know my path in the way that you know that I've been walking in your in your path. But you know, there's a, there are snares here, right? See, this is how David is. This is what David is experiencing. What should I do? No matter which way I go, I'm afraid that disaster could be lurking there. It's not so clear. On the one hand, it would seem that Hashem's sending the message, I'm giving you this man to kill him, right? And all of his men are saying the same thing. That, that desire, right? One, it's easy to understand why David would think that that could be the right way. On the other hand, right, to kill Shaul is, also seems disastrous to him, right? Everything, everything seems, so if I don't do anything, and I let him go, I'm putting everybody at risk, and I'm violating maybe the message that God is sending, he doesn't know what to do. It's a disastrous situation, right? something that maybe we could relate to, right? when we, the moments where we really don't know what is the right choice. I think right now we, we, we have an idea what the right choice is. It's a question of do we have the strength to, to follow through on the right choice. We know it should be done, right? We are, our soldiers should not be dying the way that they are, and we should be destroying everything from above, but we don't we don't have the will and the strength to defy the entire world, right? That's very difficult. But there are moments like David is experiencing that you really just don't know which way to go. Well, if you look at it, but they're talking about a hostage exchange. Right. Like, are you going to go into that again? But then again, we're not the parents or grandparents or siblings yeah. sitting on the other side. Right. What is an acceptable pride? These are the questions that, right. you know, beyond us, Right. So Mahu Maskil David says the Medrash, Kishahayasha Ulva David Bemeara, Yadavarasha Ina Damo Medlo, Loba Mamono, Veloba Chachmato, Velobigvurato. When David is in this moment, right, he's he's Mamash a foot away from Shaul, right? And he's got the knife in his hand. Now do you think that he was just go, was he going there just to cut the corner of the robe? Or was he going there to slit Shaul's throat or stab him in the back? Unclear, right? And we know ultimately what he did, but we, we know he had the knife, right? But we don't know what his intentions were, right? The thoughts that are going through his mind as he's crawling towards Shaul, while Shaul is using the bathroom, okay? This is Maskila David. How could you ever read this to Hillam again in the same way, right? Once you're thinking about what, what really is happening, right? What do I do, right? And he understood at this moment that all, whatever money one has, whatever wisdom one has, Whatever gvura, courage one has, none of it gave him any answers. He didn't know what to do. Umahu omedlo, what stood with David at this moment? Tfilato. It was only his prayer to Hashem. His skill David, so this, I guess he davened to Hashem as he's crawling to Shaul, and, it, and he understood, he sensed that Hashem answered him, that he was not to, he was not to harm the Mashiach Hashem, Shaul HaMelech. Right? So he understood. Right? This, is when he, this is the moment where he realized that there are certain situations when all you have, the only thing that you can turn to is tefillah, that all of our wisdom, you know, one, one hopes and prays that whoever's in charge of you know, what's happening with Bibi and the hostages and all of this, that he's, uh, that he's davening, that he's praying. He's, right, he's literally caught between a rock and a hard place. I mean, he's, in the, he's there among the rocks, right? And a difficult, hard place. What does he do? So, Kachamar David, the Medrash continues, Right, Hashem, I don't want to fall into his hands, but I also don't want him to fall into my hands. Right? That's why it says twice. 
the first time my, my voice I cry out to Hashem, that I should not fall into Shaul's hand. The second time is that he should not fall into mine. Meaning the urge to kill him was so strong that he davened to Hashem, please don't let me kill him. Right, the, right, he's there. He's in his hands. Hashem, don't let me give in to that temptation. David is a man of war. He's killed how many people? We know. Thousands of enemies he's killed. And Shaul is his enemy. But he's davening to Hashem for the strength not to kill him. Which I thought was really incredible. Um, so it seems that David's men, you know, outwardly, it seems that David's men are correct. Right? Amarlo David says the Gemar and Brachos, he says to Shaul, Mina Torah ben Hariga ata. According to the rules of the Torah, you are worthy of, of being killed. Shaharai Rodef you are the classic example of a Rodef. If somebody's chasing you to kill you, right, that's the classic example, right? Now, there are all these discussions now about how do we look at the innocent, not so innocent, Gazans, right? These Gazan Arabs who would all kill us if they could. Are they, can, are they Rodefim, right? There's all this debate back and forth, right? Maybe yes, maybe no, right? In the moment right now, are they picking up, they're picking up a gun or a knife to kill us? But they, they certainly do when the moment arises and the opportunity arises like on October 7th, right? Are they, is that considered a road day? Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. Here, it's quite clear. Shaul's there with 3,000 men with one purpose, right? To kill David. It's hard the, to understand how David Amalekh restrained himself. Right. Well, this is, this is the unique awesome, you know, greatness of David. How do we under? How could David have restrained himself? He's davening one of the most intense Tehillim that we have. One forty-two, right? Whenever we're in a difficult strait, we do one twenty-one, we do one thirty, we do one forty-two, right? Maskila David, right? And he's praying to Hashem for the strength not to kill, right? Not to kill a fellow Jew, right? Or as they say in the Planet of the Apes, you know, ape does not kill ape, right? Jew does not kill Jew, right? This is a, this is a rule. Right, but not so simple, right? Because right? so, I mean, this is a very hard. I'm sorry. Somebody comes to kill you, you can get up and kill him first, right? Um, now, there's another reason you could argue that David has to kill Shaul, which, which is that he has been anointed. Right? Shmuel Hanavi anointed him, so it's not just a random guy and the king. This is a king versus a king. And if that king is trying to kill this king, well, this king has the right to fight back. David saved the people of Ke'ilah, as we talked about last week, which is, should have been Shaul's job, implying that who's really the king here? Already, in fact, right? David is already now the king, say, you know, protecting people at the border. He has the Urim Vitumim with him, as a king should ha- right, nor would have, right? Which shows that Hashem is with him. So he has the right and possibly the obligation to kill Shaul and to bring Shmuel's prophecy to fruition. He also has a prophecy, right? You are going to be king. So Hashem has delivered this man so that I could be cut, right? So it's now his time to become king, right? This is maybe from God. But David, right, sees things very, very differently, right? He sees that tamnu fachli from the Tehillim that like his men are creating a snare for him, right? That there's a snare here that it seems right, but maybe this isn't right, right? It's just amazing that he davened in that moment. Like that was his Exactly. And now that we learn this, I now understand better. Meaning, sometimes you just pick up the hill and what do I say? There's a bad situation. What do I say? 142 is not the same as 130. 
and as 121. They're all things that we say during difficult times, but this is 142 is when we are in, in, in struggling and in pain. What do I do in this moment? What do I do? Right, that's, how, that's the grown-up choice. As I always, how do you know that you're an adult? Right? Nowadays, it's no longer 18 or 21 or even 30, because right? you could spend your life living in your parents' basement. You could be a child for your whole life if you want. How do you know that you're an adult? I always say this to, to kids or to teenagers. Right? When do you become an adult? When it's not a choice between, like, do I do the right thing or the wrong thing? Right? Should I get up and go to Minion or put on fill-in today, or should I sleep till 11? Right? That's a kid's choice, right? A teenager's choice. An adult choice is, should I make my mother happy or should I make my wife happy, right? I don't know what to do, right? Where it's like, there's no, it's not so simple, right? There's, right? That's how you know you're an adult. When you're thinking on that level, right? That's what this Tehillim is about. The most painful situations in life where there doesn't seem to be any right choice. No matter what you do, something is going to go wrong, right? Exactly right. And that's, that's the David Amelech quandary here. And that's why this is, and it brings us to Hillam to life. You know, until you learn this story and think about it, not just Nathiomi, but until you really put yourself in David's shoes, you don't know what this, what this to Hillam is really all about. Well, obviously, right? Hashem's also saying that it's not his time yet, because if it was his time to become king. So I think that in this case, right, well, we're going to talk about this this week and, and next week as well. We talk about Avigail and Naval. That's a very big issue. These are, this is a central issue. What, when is it his time? Because David knows that he's going to be king, but is he told when? No. Right, so this is a great challenge. I, maybe this is the moment. God delivered Shaul into my hands. Right? This should, about the that says that, that Shaul will die in the hands of David. It doesn't say that. Become king. Right. So he could be in that quandary. Why, why should I bring about the fruition of my malchut? If Hashem really wants me to be Melech, he'll, he'll bring it out himself. Except that, you know, our, our whole lives don't follow that rule. Right, which is religious Zionism, is we believe that we have to do our part to join with Hashem in bringing prophecy to fruition. Right, that's uh, you know, we'll, and we'll at some point I'm sure we'll come, we'll learn all these Torahs, some of these Torahs together as it weaves in through the through the Navi. But this is really that's why this is such a fascinating question. You're touching on on the point: when are we patient, and when are we pushing it forward? What is the balance between patience and patience and pushing it forward? If you're Haredi, it's simple. Everything's Hashem's hands. I'm going to continue davening and learning Torah until Mashiach arrives on a, on a magic carpet, right? We don't believe that. We don't believe, right? If we did, we wouldn't be here. Right? We wouldn't be in this shul. We wouldn't be in this community. We wouldn't be here, right? We believe that we have a role. On the other hand, right, there is also a time, you know, time for everything. And, and we do know that it's meant to take time. You know, so what does it mean to be dochek? like to push, you know, to overly push too fast and too hard for the kates. And on the other hand, what does it mean to be too passive and to sit, right? So that this is why, so we have to struggle with this. That's why I believe we are the leading tribe. Because who else is thinking about this? Who else is struggling with these questions? There's nobody else. It's just us. Our gedolim, it's us. It's our, and we as a nation, as a people, right? Our tribe is the one that's dealing with this and struggling with this. So we are, we are David HaMelech. Right? David has to grapple with this. When is this going to come true? We know it's coming, but how long will it take? And when, right? That's the question. So this is not easy. So, so why should David not kill Shaul? So the number nine says the Medrash, All of my men are telling me to kill him. But my heart tells me, but who could possibly, you know, harm the anointed one of Hashem and, and, and come out pure on the other side? 
right? First of all, libi omerli. Libi omerli. That's a phrase we should all memorize. Right? There is a, an important place within Yiddishkeit. Not all of Judaism is, is halacha and following the rules. Libi omerli. When your heart tells you something, you're supposed to listen to your heart. doesn't mean you always follow it. If your heart tells you to eat a cheeseburger, I'm not saying that we should eat a cheeseburger. But there is a, there is a place in Yiddishkeit for Libi omerli, and I would think even more so, David HaMelech represents the Jewish people as we're coming to closer and closer to redemption, which is Shlomo, his son, which means we are David. So it's our generation in particular is Libi omerli. My heart tells me. We have to be listening to our hearts. I think all of us are here as Olim because we, we listen to our hearts, Libi omerli, right? And we didn't ignore the heart. So, because not, most likely for most of us, it made no sense, right? Practical sense to be here. But Libi omerli, where we listened to the heart that kept telling us that we had to pick up and uproot and do the thing that didn't make any sense logically. Because logically it made sense to kill Shaul. Logically it made sense, right, to pay off your mortgage and have that nice house in Teaneck that's fully paid off, right? Logically. But Libi omerli, my heart tells me, right, that I, and I, have, to follow, I have to follow my heart, right? So I thought that was, to me, that was very powerful. Sometimes just a line. Like you find this in Rashi, a few words from Rashi sometimes, just a few, you know, can just, it, it boggles the mind. And the Ralbag says, The Ralbag gets a little more concrete and practical. He says that even though it was permissible for David to kill Shaul, right, he says, Now why did, but he still says, I can't do this. Why? This is because of his great chasidus, his piousness. But there's also wisdom here. Not just chasidus. There's, like, there's self-preservation wisdom here. Right? If David, the second king, kills Shaul, the first king, what kind of precedent is he setting? An incredibly dangerous one, right? 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 So he didn't want to, this is not the way of the Jewish people. Even if in this moment it made sense, this is not the way of the Jewish people right? to do such a thing. Because then you're going to create a whole culture where each new king kills the old king, right? And his entire family, of course, obviously. That's how it goes. Slaughter the whole family, wipe them out. So there's no trace of them left. That's what happened with all the Roman emperors, right? One after the other. So, there's a, so it struck me, and maybe you'll laugh, but when, you know, I thought about Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz is not a right winger, but he's been, he was on this whole crusade, right, for how, about how terrible it is that, there, that, that like, there's like 12 different lawsuits against Donald Trump. Why? Okay, he's probably technically guilty of at least a few of them, right? Even those of us who might like him know he's no saint and he's done a lot of stupid things in his life, right? There are things technically you can get him for, but he says it's a disastrous precedent. And unless it's something so clear, like with Nixon, where his own party was calling for him to be prosecuted, right? And short of that, it would be, it's a disaster. Even if technically you have a right, right? And some of them, a lot of them are, are stupid, but some of them may, te- right? I think the one in particular about the documents that he took, which he clearly violated the law, but so did every other, so did Biden. So they all do. So what, you're gonna, now you're going to prosecute him on that? Is it so, te- right? Is it worth it to destroy the precedent, right? To become a banana republic? That, that where you can go after the opposition leader? Probably not, right? I think it's, you know, Dershowitz has a, has a wisdom here, but this is the wisdom of David Amelech. 
that sometimes technically you have the right to go after somebody, but it's very unwise to do so, because what's going to happen? Right? Then you have a Republican president, and he's going to go after, right? they're going to bring lawsuits against the Democrat who's running. Right? It's a disaster. Um, you know, so this is like, right, you could be sure he's going to do the same thing if he wins. Right? I mean, he's already said so. Right? They're gonna, this is what they do. Right? This is how it works. Right? So you have to be thinking ahead, and David Melech is not just a chassid, he's also a chacham. Right? He, he, sees, he sees into the future. And the disastrous precedent. So I'm not going to read Alan Dershowitz inside, but uh, I thought, given, given that he's been so strong for Am Yisrael come out, you know, in, in a great way, we should give him a little honor. Give him thanks. Okay. Now, when David cuts Shaul's robe, the illusion is, uh, is very, very clear, right? So, so look at number 12. This is back when, after Shaul sinned, with, uh, with not destroying Amalek as he was supposed to. So Shmuel turns to go away and he laid hold upon the skirt of his robe, right? So, so Shaul grabs onto Shmuel's cloak, like, don't leave me, right? He's turning and walking away from him and it tears, the, the corner tears off. So Shmuel says, right? God has torn the, the Malchut away from you. He's given it to, to, to uh, a, you know, a re'acha, a friend, which is such an interesting you know, language, who is, who is better than you, which is really something, right? When I mean, you see the imagery here, the connection between this and David cutting the corner. Now, David couldn't have known. Nobody else was there. This was just Shaul and Shmuel. So the only person who understands the connection here is Shaul. He's the only one, right? And, and uh, says the Malbim, um, that even so, even though this was all assigned to Shaul and it was meant to be that his, the corner of his cloak would be cut off, to remind him, right, that somebody better than him is going to take the malchus from him, nevertheless, vayach lev David oto. Forget the killing. Even just the cutting of his clothing made David, you know, be, feel so incredibly guilty. Ki lev hashalem itpael, says the Malbim, because you have a whole heart. Right? When you have a heart like David, which is so sensitive, it's yitcharet, and feels guilt, even doing something small that's bad, right? David felt pain over that. He felt guilt over that. And from this he understood, from his feeling, right? right? My heart tells me, right? That same idea. Because he, after he cut the corner of Shaul's robe, he felt this terrible guilt. That told him, Right, ki lo shalma malchut Shaul. That Shaul's time was not done yet; that it was too early. Right, that was like the the sign to David, umurim malchut alav. And therefore, he felt still the awe and the fear that is natural to feel before a king. Right, that had if Shaul's time was really over, he would not have felt that. Right, and therefore, it was a sin to touch even his clothing because he's the melech. To touch the melech's clothing is a punishable offense, a terrible thing. So because he felt that way. So you see, like David is using his wisdom. He's davening to Hashem. you doing all of those things, but he's also Levi O'Merly. He's also connected to his emotions and his thoughts and his feelings. And what is Hashem sending me? What message is Hashem sending me? Through my own thoughts and emotions, which is really something, right? Isn't that incredible? I mean, the complexity of how he relates to and understands Hashem, what Hashem's will is, is extraordinary. I have a question, going back to uh, 
says to Shaul about Hashem has rent the kingdom of Israel from you. So, okay. He could have said just, the Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from you this day, but he didn't have to say, and give it to your friend who's better than you. Because this creates suspicion, creates jealousy. It's, yeah. So is the seeds of all those things that caused him to hate David and chase after him. So why do you even have to say that? Maybe, perhaps, you know, tipping Shaul off to look for, to understand who, who is better than him and why. And why is he failing? You know, to under, perhaps, I don't know. It's a good question. But, uh, but that line, you could be sure, is, oh, is planted permanently in Shaul's mind. Because if you're a jealous person and you know that the Malchus is going to be taken away from you, and then the Navi tells you there's somebody better than you that's going to take it from you. You think there, you know, five minutes went by, at, you know, without him thinking about that, right? And, and interestingly enough, at the end of Shaul's life, almost to the end, when he's speaking to to Shmuel as a ghost, right? He doesn't say that's better than you. He makes reference, but he says he's given it to your fellow. He doesn't say better than you, showing that Shaul has, is still considered a tzaddik, and he's going to be with Shmuel in Olam Right, so we're going to talk about when we get there, but yeah, that moment, that's moment, that, that, because that is Shaul's great moment of tshuva that happens at that, at that time, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about. But that's, uh, but 100%, that's a very interesting point, that he didn't say, there's someone better than you. I didn't, that's great. That's really, really good. Close reading. Um, and, and the, the, the implications of this terrible sin of David that he cut his clothing continues, you know, to the end of his life, right? Number 14, and this is the beginning of Malachim. I was just reading this with my daughter. David is old, very old. And they covered him with clothing, but he couldn't get warm. And says Rashi, that the rabbis tell us, Whoever disgraces clothing is not going to is going to be deprived of their pleasure in the end. Because he cut the corner of Shaul's rope, which is really, I mean, kind of it's unbelievable, right? And what we and what was the corner of this robe that he cut? Remember, Titus is on the corner of our clothing. So, so therefore, says the Yalkut Shimoni, Why was David so upset? Because he deprived him of the mitzvah of tzitzit for that short moment, until he got new clothing, right? But for a short amount of time, he, was, he cut off the corner of the tzitzit. And he could be sure Shaul was somebody who was wearing tzitzit. Right? He was such a, he was a holy person as an individual, right? He cuts off his tzitzit. And he's not with because there's no four corners anymore. Right, so, <laughs> exactly. So he was mevatel him, right? It doesn't say that, that, it, that it was a, right, that, it was a that, right, that, he, that he committed an avera, but rather it was mevatel, the mitzvah of tzitzit, that he wasn't able to fulfill the mitzvah in a positive sense, which is really something. And so, looking all the tzitzit that are being made. Right. Yeah. And all the soldiers are wearing tzitzit. Exactly. So, that, so it makes us wonder, why, why are the soldiers so connected to tzitzit? I know you can say on a simple level, right? I may not be a religious person, but I'm going into war. I want to have the protection or whatever. But there's a deeper inion of tzitzit. Right? So Ramosha Tsuriel, does anyone ever, anyone ever hear his name? He died a few months ago. 
in August. Ramosha Turiel Zichar Tzadik Levracha was at one point the Mashkiach Ruchani of Shalavim. Um, and he was a great, great Torah scholar. He like lived in Bnei Brak, but wrote the like, you know, five volumes of collected writings of Rav Cook. Like one of these amazing people, really, really amazing people. I had the, once had the honor of being in his apartment in Bnei Brak when I was 18. It was a really a very, very, very special man. So he has a beautiful um, book on Chumash called Otsrot HaTorah. So I found, I came across it. He says, "When you're telling Madua ba'a parsha tzitzit b'diyuk, acharei on shoshal mekoshesh eitzim b'shabat, v'lifnechet oshal korach." Why does the mitzvah of tzitzit in Bamidbar come right after the sin of the mekoshesh eitzim, the one who gathered the the you know the 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 sticks on Shabbos, and then the sin of korach is right after, in between these two big sins, right? What's what's that about? So Chazal anu al she'ilazot bechachsha kadosh baruch hu limeid lemoshe rabenu. Right, so Chazal, you know, answered this with, you know, with what Hashem is teaching Moshe here. Right, why was the Mekoshesh Eitzim? Why did he mess up here and violate Shabbos? Because the six days of the week, right, the Jewish men are wearing tefillin. We look at our tefillin, we remember who we are, and it keeps us away from sin. But now on Shabbos, Einlo, right? He, right he, there's no tefillin. So he didn't have the tefillin to remind him as to who he was. So he sinned specifically on Shabbos. Therefore, specifically in Shabbos and Yom Tov, because we're not wearing four-cornered garments anymore. We don't technically have an obligation to wear tzitzit all the time. But on Shabbos in particular, there's a deeper reason to be more careful about tzitzit. Because you need to see them. Maybe if you don't wear them out, I don't know, I, I always wear them in. That was always my family, what my family did. Maybe I should be wearing them out on Shabbos. Right? Because on Shabbos, as, you know, according, to, according to this, I don't, have the, I don't have the tefillin that I'm, you know, I should be seeing the tzitzis, you know, more, more obviously, more openly. Kadei shiyiz kor, right? Tzitzis is there to remind us, right? All, all the knots and the strings, it adds up to 613 to remind us of, the, of, the, of, of all the mitzvahs. But it's not just to remind us technically of the mitzvahs. It's reminding us of who we are, of what our purpose in this world is, right? That's really what tzitzis is, and we wear it with us. Zotomeret, so meaning it tells us, chutz min etzem maisa mitzvah she'esh tzitzis. So in addition to the technical mitzvah that we fulfill by wearing tzitzis, yesh tafkid gadol, there's another greater purpose, because uh, it brings us to all 613. It's what reminds us, right? And this is why, you know, where Korach messed up. Right? His whole question was, if you have a, a talus that's all tcheles, uh, do does it still need tzitzis? Right? He, was, he was poo-pooing the importance of Tzitzis and how it reminds us always that we need to be reminded. He was overconfident. Korach was a great man. And he had, and there was some holiness there, as we talked about. That holiness comes out in Shmuel Hanavi, his great, great, great grandson. Right? So there was not, Korach was not a nobody. But where did he go wrong? She is Kor. It doesn't matter how holy you are, right? If you're not remembering with the tzitzis there in front of your eyes, reminding you of the humility before Hashem that we're here to serve Him and not to serve ourselves, you can end up like Korach, right? And the same thing also, he, the same idea with mezuzah, which is a similar mitzvah, which is a reminding mitzvah. So, 
David, right? It comes back to David, which I thought was, which was so exciting. Right? Now we understand why was this so terrible that David cut, his, cut the titus off. Right? That, that when he became old, he couldn't get warm. Lama and Why did he was was he in such pain? He knew right away. Because he is particularly Shaul, who was in a difficult moment here. Right, Shaul was losing his bearings, losing sense of, the sense of himself as a Jew, as an Obed Hashem. And he was doing crazy things and killing the Kohanim of Nov and trying to kill David. If anyone needed tzitzis, it was Shaul, right? To help him remember who he was. And David just made the problem worse by cutting it off. Isn't that something? I thought that was like, wow, what a, what a powerful point. We find this also, this is a famous story in, uh, in Gemara Menachos, right? These are always, you know, when, when the Gemara gets edgy, you know, things that you're not sure you should say to your, say to your children, that's always when it's most fun, right? The story's about, uh, there was like a, a young man, it was a yeshiva bacher, who was very zahir b'mitzvah tzitzis, right? He was very careful with tzitzis. So we're not talking about a regular person. And then he heard that there was a zona, that there was a prostitute, right? In one of the towns and 400 gold diner to, 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 to hire her. I mean, she was like the prostitute of all prostitutes, right? And, uh, and so he goes there and he arrives and, you know, and like she's waiting on a, a naked on a bed, you know, like... And there's six beds before you get to that bed, which is a gold bed. I mean, it's like unbelievable, right? I mean, they talk about the, t- the desire, the temptation. And, and, but when he goes up there, what happens? Bo dalatitsiyotav, right? His, his, uh, his tzitzis come. The mitzvah that he was so careful about, the merit of the, of the tzitzis saved him from the sin. Um, and it smacked him in the face, right? And then he like slips off the bed where she was and he sits on the ground and you know, he's awakened, right? That's the whole idea of tzitzis, is to awaken us. Shaul was in such a state, not with a zona, not with a prostitute, but with his jealousy, right? His, and his jealousy of David. He was in that, we know he was in a ruach ra'ah. This was a very dark time for Shaul. And if, right, he needed the tzitzis to slap him in the face, to remember what was real, right? That David is his son-in-law. He's trying to kill his son-in-law, right? It's crazy. So, David destroyed what, exactly what he needed most, right? which is, and that's why he was in so much pain. Now, what happens next? We have this emotional exchange. He walks out of the, uh, of the cave, number 20. So David also, after Shaul leaves, he also goes out of the cave. And I guess he waits till Shaul is a safe distance away. And he calls out to him, right? My lord, the king. And Shaul turns around. And he prostrates himself to the ground before the king. Why are you listening to all the Lashon Hara? Right? That's a theme we should not forget. There's so much Lashon Hara. Why are you paying attention to the media, which is telling you that the religious Jews in Efrat are trying to destroy Israel and, right, and introduce halachic law, Sharia law, you know, on all you Jews in Tel Aviv? Why are you listening to them? Right, don't listen to all the lies. Go meet the people. Go talk to the people in Efrat. Right? We're, not so, we're not so bad. Right? All these are crazy religious Jews. We're not so crazy. The problem is all the lies all around. And if they're already nervous and they're already inclined to hear the Lashon Hara, that's very dangerous. Right? That's, that's exactly what happened. Right? He's trying to awaken Shaul. 
You see with your own eyes today. Put you in my hands. I could have killed you. And there were people telling me to kill you. My men were telling me that. But I spared you. Right, and I said, I will not put my forth, forth my hand against Hashem, for he is, you are the anointed of Hashem. Right, and I think uh, maybe slightly different situation, but after this war is over, we have to remind people, you were there in Gaza, standing religious Jew, secular Jew next to each other, risking, each other, risking your lives for each other. Remember that. Don't listen to the media. Don't listen to the Lashon Hara. Right? You love each other. Don't forget it. Right? Your life was in my hands. And I was there for you, and you were there for me. So what, are we going to listen to Lashon Hara now? It's interesting, the pasuk could be read, um, the Amar Lahargacha, the, who was the subject, was Hashem. In the beginning of the pasuk, it says Hashem. That's true. And then the Amar. And the Amar, it's singular, that's great, I didn't notice that, that's fascinating. Right, meaning the message that seemed to be given to me. Right. You were in my hands, God seemed to be telling me to kill you, and I didn't. Which is wild, that's a great, that's a great insight. The singular, Ve'amar, right, that's very cool. Ve'avira'e so he says, my father, please look. Look at kanaf mi'ilcha, look at the corner of your clothes, of your robe, right, which is, you know, bi'adi, I, I, like I have it here in my hand, I'm holding it, I cut it off of you. Ki et kanaf mi'ilcha haragticha, right, because I, I, I did this, right, I chose this, I cut it off in, instead of killing you. Da'ara'e ki ein bi'adi ra'av know that I have not sinned against you, and you're waiting to kill me. Hashem should judge between, between us. And Hashem should avenge me of you. But I will not touch you. Right? He's promising him, I will never touch you. Right? No matter what you do to me. Right? He quotes a proverb, right? Out of the wicked will come forth wickedness, but my hand will not be coming to kill you. Who are you chasing, king of Israel? You're chasing after a dead dog and a flea. That's how he describes himself. Hashem again should judge between me and you. Hashem should deliver me out of your hands. Okay? So it's telling that he refers to him as my father. Right, which I thought was interesting here. Right, from here we learn that you have to treat your in-laws like you treat your parents in the same honor. So if my in-laws are listening, probably not. I doubt they're on, they're not making it all the way to class four. Of this, uh, but if you are listening, okay, I'm there for you. Um, but uh, I thought that was, you know, what, it's a powerful point, right? We can learn so much from the way David talks, how we treat our in-laws, even an in-law who's trying to kill you. So my, I did once borrow a car from my in-laws and I turned it on to start it. And we, I borrowed it for a few weeks. I turned it on to start it and it wasn't working. So I was like, okay, I'll walk to shul instead of driving. I, I walked like 20 feet and the whole like, front of the car exploded in flames. So I'm still not sure. <laughs> you know, but I do know that I, I, owe, I, have to, I owe them respect. I owe them honor regardless. Right, that's it. <laughs> it's, it's a true story. Absolute true story. Um, I think it was right after I got, I got life insurance. <laughs> it was right after. So, so, but, so why does he compare himself to a dog and a flea? 
Ki par oshamotso bebeged ovifsaro rodfo. It's like you know, when you have a bug on you, right? Uh, any of these bugs, you know, they're on us all the time. You're slapping, you're, you're like, you're trying to hit it on you, right? And it jumps to another part of you, right? And it's all over, you're making you crazy. Humidalegmi makom la makom. You had the, the flea to get away, he's jumping from place to place. Klamar, ma mala hulach makvur shatar rodevachare kamoha rodevachare parosh. What are you bothering? Why are you wasting your time as king chasing me? So from this place to that place, I'm running, I'm trying to get away from you, right? This is beneath your honor to chase after a flea like me. Okay? Right? A lowly animal. Um, now, how does Shaul respond? David finishes his speech. Is that your voice, my son, David? And he, right, he starts weeping. He starts crying. Very powerful. He says, you are right. You are, you are the tzaddik. You are greater than me. You've been good to me, and I've been terrible to you. Right, and you've declared how you saved, you spared my life today. How many people find their enemy and let them go? Right, and Hashem should be good to you like you have been good to me. And now I know you will be the king instead of me. This is a big moment here, right? This is a big moment. And that the kingdom of Israel will be in your hands. Now, how does he know this? Maybe this answers your question. How does he know this? That you will be the king? Because Shmuel told him, the, the kingdom will go to a man, who, a re'echa, which means beloved friend. My daughter's middle name is Ra'aya, beloved friend, Right? A beautiful, right? So it's going to, the Malchus is going to go to your beloved friend who is better than you. And now Shaul sees who is my beloved, who's my child, like my, my son who I love, and who's also better than me. And he did love him. And he loved him, right? Oh, because love and hate, for sure. The love is there, they're buried deep down, right? We don't get so angry at people that we don't love, right? It's uh, generally. Um, Right, so that's how, this, isn't this amazing, right? He sees, right, that answer, maybe that answers your question. Now that was for him to be able to understand who's going to be the next king, not just somebody else, somebody better than you, right? And this is precisely, this, the idea of sparing someone who you think is worthy of death is precisely what Shaul is not doing. He's not sparing the people who he thinks are worthy of death. He didn't do that with Nov, and, he's not, and he wasn't doing it with David. And right, and now he says, This is wild. Now he says, Please swear to me that you won't wipe out all my children when you become king. Right? Which was the standard. Right? That's the standard. But don't do it. Right? That, that you won't destroy my name from my father's house. He's like, I'm toast. Basically is what he's saying. But please spare my children. Wow. Right? Exactly. So we're going to, this comes in Shmuel Bet with Mephibosheth and, and the descendants of Shaul. Right? David follows through on his oaths, right? Vayishavad David, he swears to Shaul. Shaul David al Metsuda. And then, right, David, you know, he went home and David went, you know, back up to the stronghold. So really, you know, really, really extraordinary. I mean, just the weeping, the emotion, the intensity here, right? He, you know, Shaul's weeping out of frustration and pain because he knows that David is, 
telling him the real truth. And he knows that he can't overcome his own evil inside of him. Um, he knows that he has to, that he can't even be normal without David. Remember the music. He's weeping for what he lost with David because of himself. That he drove David away. He's weeping because he knew that he's turned to evil. And he's weeping because now he's internalized for the very first time, you know, that David is going to become the next king of Israel and then he's done, right? And he's, you know, acknowledging that, which is really, really, really extraordinary. Um, now, how, so how, again, does Shaul really know that David is going to be king? So we said, mentioned here that there's a hint, but, I, but the Malbim says it even more explicitly. There's number 24. He says, now that I see, says Shaul, that you have controlled your Yetzer, your whole self was telling you, kill this, kill me, right? I'm trying to kill you. And the warrior instinct, anyone's instinct, but certainly a warrior's instinct is going to be kill in self-defense, right? We saw that, all the heroes on October 7th, right? Rising up by instinct, right? To fight and to defend, um, like Eina Basor, right? They, they were able to shut the gates seconds before the terrorists arrived, and then these men held off these terrorists for hours, right? And, they, and Eina Basor was, was basically, was essentially spared. They were injured and so on, but they, the, the people were spared. Um, when like the neighboring kibbutz was, 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 it was a disaster, right? So they all like jumped up. It was like a, you know, it, it was the normal Yetzer. But he said, you overcame that. Right now, I know ki maloch timoch ki hamolech al yitzro hu haraui lemalchut. Somebody who can control his yitzer is truly the one who's worthy of being king. Right? Superficially, people think, oh, the tough guy, the strong guy who kills everybody else, he's the king. But really, the true king is someone who's in control of himself. And as we see, you know, throughout Shmuel Bet, when David becomes king, that you know, with Yoab and others and can't control themselves and give in to vengeance and all these things, right, against their fellow Jews, all the things that David is able to control himself with, right, that Mida comes out full force. So it made me think of uh, King Henry, right? He's the most, he's the most famous king because of Anne Boleyn, right? Everybody loves to talk about King Henry and all the wives that he killed and everybody, right? He's the king, right, the great insane king of England. But then it struck me, we know him, he's the most famous king, but he's the least royal of all the kings. He's not, he's the opposite of a true king. Because he had zero control over his Yetzer, right? He's the complete opposite of David HaMelech, right? The, fam- right? the famous King Henry, right? His will was capricious, right? That he was, that, that, that everybody describes from the early years of his reign, sudden explosive angers, tears and tantrums, right? That a king, that, like the, kid, the Joker almost lost his life because he made a joke about Anne Boleyn. But then a year later, He's, you know, he's killing Anne Boleyn. <laughs> like, it's just, it, he is a man who's completely out of control, right? So, some, so from darkness, you understand light, right? The darkness of King Henry, right? The opposite of that is David HaMelech. And that's something that Shaul HaMelech, you know, grasps. And it's something that he himself did not possess. He himself did not possess, right? It's not a small accomplishment when you're a king and everybody's flattering you. And you have all this power to be able to control it. Um, and this, you know, and the Medrash... Right, concretizes all of this together. It says, Right, that when when um, it's interesting that the the translation it says when Shaul sought to depart, Shmuel tore his cloak. It could be understood the opposite way. The pshat is really when Shmuel was walking away, Shaul tore his Shmuel's cloak. But either way, the clo- a cloak was torn at that moment. Um, 
So Amar lo Shmuel, Karash Emet Mamlachut Yisrael. We know that Hashem has torn the royalty away from you. Amar lo Umihuzeh. Right, so the Medrash is like says that adds a little more to the conversation that Shaul was demanding to know who's going to take it away from me. Amarlo eni omerlecha ella ani romezlecha. So Shmuel says, I'm not going to tell you, but I will hint to you who this person is. Mishu korelecha tamet mi ilcha. He who will tear your coat, just like the, this coat is torn right now. Hu atid litol at malchutecha. He will be the one who will take your malchus. And then this is exactly, of course what happened. Now, it seems that Shaul has learned his lesson, and this should be the end of the story. But as we'll see over the next two weeks, it's not the end of the story that we have, not next week, but the week after we get to chapter 26, it seems to be almost a complete repetition of what just happened. It's like this didn't happen at all, which is insane, right? The Yalkut Shimoni says, Right, Shaul. When Shaul left and when he was all humbled, right, he goes back to his men. His men said, "What? David is such a tzaddik that he didn't kill you in the cave." He knew that if he had done anything to you, we would have gone in there and eaten him alive. We would have wiped him out. So he was really just doing it to protect himself. Shaul. And Shaul listened to them. It's so easy to fall back from clarity into confusion. How often we know this? This is the post-Yom Kippur malady, right? Everything is so clear on Yom Kippur, how you should speak to your spouse, how you should be with your children, right? And then you find yourself losing your temper, right? And doing it all over again. It's not Not a simple thing. This is going to be our struggle whenever the war ends, right? This will be our struggle. Can we maintain the clarity the clarity that we have right now. God willing, we will. Amen. Amen.